presented to us, ministered to us with a really, really important song. And I, I think it brings us to a place where we, we must ask ourselves the question, do I really believe? Will we come to a place in our journey where we say, I believe, I believe? And, and I'm constantly um, asking myself, do you really? <laughs> do you really believe? I, uh, I love the Bible. The Bible is, is my resource. It, 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 it gives me direction. It sets my boundaries. It reveals to me truth in a culture, in a day and age, where truth is so relevant. It's the Bible that leads me to a place of understanding what truth is. Uh, then I choose to believe truth or, or not. It's more than that, though, to me, uh, because like you, I go through periods of time in my life that um, are difficult times, uh, sad, grief, fear, not knowing the future, frustration. Um, the Bible's where I go when I feel those emotions in, in my life. And the passage of Scripture that we look at this morning is where I tend to go, the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. It's where I begin to put perspective on my life and my experience and my journey. It gives me a big picture perspective. It gives me uh, a sense of who God is, and it gives me a sense of his involvement in my life. John chapter 14. Some of you may run to Psalm 23, this great passage of Scripture about Jesus and his intimacy with us, his protection. Some of you may go to Romans 8, where it speaks of his love and nothing can separate us from his love and that he works all things together for our good. Some may go to James, where it... it, it it instructs us to have joy in the midst of trials. Strange. I love John chapter 14 because it speaks to me about God's sovereignty and control. It speaks to me about his love. It speaks to me about his plan. He, he, says, he says, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me the same way. He uses this word believe over and over and over again in this chapter. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in, in my Father's house, in my Father's kingdom. Are many rooms, are many dwelling places. The King James uses the word 
mansions. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Very, very personal. It's almost as if he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for Dale. <laughs> and then he, he says, um, if that weren't true, would I tell you that? I think that what he's saying there is, do you believe me? Believe? Do you believe me? I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I know your tastes. I, I, I know what you like and what you don't like. I know what's comfortable to you. I, I'm, I've got all of that in mind. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If that weren't so, I, 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 I wouldn't tell you that. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will return. I'll come back and I'll get you. I'll come back for you. When your dwelling place is ready, I'm going to come and get you because it's important to me, Jesus says, that you be where I am forever and forever and forever. You know where I'm going, he says. One of the disciples, Thomas, speaks up and says, we don't know where you're going. He says, you know the way. The disciple says, we don't know the way. Jesus says, I am the way. I am truth and I am life. He, he's saying all that you're searching for and all that you're looking for and all that you need, the very essence of who you are, that's, that's in me. That's found in me. That's experienced in me. Believe, believe, believe. Trust me. Follow me. I, I find great, great comfort in that passage of scripture. I go to it often. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we open up your word. Today you reveal to us your, your truth. You reveal to us your principles. We, we come before you and, and we open up our hearts. We're anticipating your speaking into our lives we want to not only understand and know your principles and your truths, we want to apply them to our lives. We ask that you would use this time of Bible study to, to mold us and to change us, to conform us to the image of Jesus, to make us more like him. Lord, we, we ask that you, that you do these things in our lives, not so that our lives might be more comfortable, but so that you might more readily be able to use us to bring glory and praise and honor and attention to you and to your name. Change us, Lord, so that you can use us so that through our lives you receive glory and honor and praise. And for that, we will praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I found it interesting in the 14th chapter as I read it several times over and over that there, there is four questions. Actually, there's three questions and a request by his disciples. And I thought it would be interesting and fun and valuable for us if we looked at those four things and, and studied and, and uh, understood Jesus' response to those four things. 
I think that you're probably, most of you are aware of this setting. We have completed our, our study of, of John chapter 13. The disciples have gone from a mountaintop experience to a valley experience. They, they found themselves on a mountaintop as, as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, as he entered into Jerusalem and thousands of people lined the streets to proclaim him king of Israel. They go into an upper room to celebrate this incredible holiday season, the Passover time. They're having a meal together. It's like the families gather together for a meal. But it's in the course of this meal that Jesus begins to reveal to them that this will be his time of suffering. That he begins to reveal to them that he is going to be leaving them, that he's no longer going to be there with them. And all of a sudden, this mountaintop experience turns to gloom, and it turns to despair, and it turns to fear, the fear of the unknown. Here's a man we've given our lives to. We've given up our our families for three and a half years. We've given up our businesses for three and a half years. We've made the the, the sacrifice, we've followed him, we've learned from him, we've been changed by him, we've been encouraged by him, he has been our leader, when he's near, everything's okay, and now he tells us that he's leaving. And they are gripped with this fear. This is a, a time of, of grief, it's, it, it's a time of, they're very, very disturbed in their spirits and in their hearts. And out of this disturbance comes the first question that we see that's actually in the 13th chapter in the 36th verse where in a very, very simple way, Peter says to Jesus, where is it that you're going? I don't think that that was the, the, the thing that was, was most on Peter's mind. I think that, that that was his way of asking this question, What are we going to do? What about us? Are are you going so far away that we're not going to be able to see you or be taught by you or be protected by you or be provided by you? Where are you going? What about us? What's going to happen to us? I think that we all live in fear to some extent. If you find yourself in, in that place, that valley, that, that, that time of grief, that, that time of trial, that, that time of trouble, what would you ask Jesus? You might think, where are you, Lord? Here I am. I, I feel like I'm being pounded by the world, defeated. Where are you? Am I in this journey alone? What does my future look like? What's going to happen next? Jesus responds to that question beginning in the 14th chapter of John, and he begins dealing with the underlying foundational cause of fear. And it's this. It's a lack of faith. The foundational cause of fear is that we don't believe. God's God's answer to fear, God's prescription 
for fear, God's provision for fear, is faith. He says to them over and over in this chapter, believe me, believe me, believe me. Do you believe me? He gives them an illustration. This is an illustration that, 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 that would be very, very familiar to the disciples because this was a very common occurrence in that culture, in that, in that first century. In that first century, it, 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 was, it, was, it was common. It was more than common. It was the norm. It was weird if, it, if this didn't happen, that, that, that families, generations of families would live in the same house. They would all continue to live in the same house. When, when a son of a family was ready to get married, after arrangements had been made, after price had been paid, he would leave his home with his best man, his father and mother, the wedding party, I guess, He would leave his home and he would travel to the home of the woman that he was going to marry. And when he got there, he would call her out and he would ask her for her hand in marriage. And she would accept that invitation and there would be a big party and a lot of celebration and then the groom-to-be would travel back to his home and begin to prepare a room for he and his wife. When that room was complete, then he would get the wedding party together again, and they would go to the bride-to-be's home, and he would marry her. And there would be a big celebration, And then he would take his bride back to their dwelling place, to their home, where they would live together, where she could be where he is. I've had the privilege of traveling to Israel. I've seen ruins where this is evident, that you see homes and it's it's evident that there's been rooms added and built on and you see that in some of the ruins there. That was kind of the culture. That was the norm. But I want you to kind of understand the, the, what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe me. Believe me. In my Father's kingdom, in my Father's house, in heaven... There's a bunch of dwelling places there, and I'm going there to prepare one for you. And when it's ready, then I'm going to come and get you and receive you and take you back with me because I want you to be where I am. The disciples got that. Do you get that? I think that what Jesus is saying here is don't let your hearts be troubled. Let me go ahead and tell you the end of the story. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Let me tell you how everything ends. Will you believe me? 
What Jesus is doing is he's giving the disciples an eternal perspective. He's sharing with us today and challenging us today with an eternal perspective. Our destiny as believers. What a difference an eternal perspective makes on our lives. What a difference an eternal perspective has when we're going through a valley. God wants us to develop an eternal perspective. We talk about this a lot here. The difference in the temporal and the eternal and and our focus and our energy and our investment in, in what lasts forever. God is always thinking eternally. When he comes to us in our, in our time of need, he's thinking eternally. We're thinking temporally. How do I get out of this mess? How do I relieve this pain? How do I experience comfort? What is the solution? This is all about right now. We want to feel good. Our efforts are to that end. But God, God is thinking eternally. He's thinking big picture. Developing an eternal perspective will help us in dealing with the difficulties of this life. It motivates us to to invest in things that last forever. Here's a a principle that, that we need to make a part of our belief system and make a part of who we are. God often employs temporary pain to bring enduring pleasure. God often employs temporary pain to bring enduring pleasure. Or temporary pain, temporary pain, pain to, 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 to best build his kingdom. Or temporary pain to, to bring someone into the kingdom. Or to display his power and his providence and his glory or or temporary pain to to build eternity it's 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 this eternal perspective we implore him we beg him solve this problem bring me comfort get me out of this mess we have this temporal kind of feeling but god is sees the big picture and things that he can accomplish through our difficult time It's an eternal perspective. He desires to to take us. He loves us. It's his desire to protect us. But it's his desire to grow us. It's his desire to shape and mold us. It's his desire to change us. Listen, I I would say oftentimes it's, it's during these times of trial and tribulation that God intervenes and, and has his most effective work in our life in the area of molding us and changing us and making us more like Jesus. But you know what? I think it's all of the time. I, I, I think that, 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 he, that, when ch- that change, when change takes place in our life, it's it's almost always, and I, I, I kind of want to say it's always, it's always, it's always. When change takes place in our life, when we're molded, when we become more like Jesus, it's, it's always during a time of difficulty, a time of frustration, a time of grief, a time of, of not understanding, a time of fear. But our God has a plan 
Our God is at work. Our God has eternity in mind. And we must develop that kind of eternal perspective. I said to you last week, we looked at Romans 8.28, a verse often misinterpreted. We know, we know, we know. Do you believe? Do you believe? We know that God works all things together for our good, for his glory. And when we interpret that in light of the temporal, we take that to mean that he's going to make us comfortable, that he's going to take care of our problems. But when in reality, it means that he's going to use that in our lives to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus. We know that because that's what verse 29, the next verse says. And that we take those difficult times and we interpret them in light of his word. What does his word have to say about this? I know what I believe about this. What does he teach about this? And we find that he uses those times in our lives to mold us and shape us, to make us more like Jesus. An eternal perspective. Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I am going, but I'm going to come back. And he says this to the disciples. You know where I'm going, and you know the way, and it's Thomas who speaks up, and he says, we don't know the way because we don't know where you're going. I don't know if Jesus went, (sighs) or if he just kind of chuckled. But he said these words, the clearest presentation of the gospel in all of Scripture in my mind. Hey, guys, I am the way. I am the way. I am truth, and I am life. Where, where do you go in your time of trial? Jesus says, I am the way. You know the way. Jesus is, is saying here, I've, I've, I've got everything under control. I, I have this plan. He, he gives us his plan for eternal life, and he gives us his plan for a fulfilled life, a, an abundant life, he calls it in the 10th chapter of John, an abundant life. I, I'm the way to eternal life. I, I'm the way to an abundant life. I am the way. This is a, a matter of priority. This is, this is where you go in your time of need. Jesus is both our goal and our guide. You got to get that. Our goal is eternity, it's heaven, it's with Him forever. He's our guide, He's the one that, that guides us on this spiritual journey that we're on. He's both our goal and our guide. And the secret of guidance is to have your focus on the guide. One of the questions that I hear almost on a daily basis, certainly at least once a week, I want to be in the center of God's will. How do I know that I'm in the center of God's will? It's an obsession for many of us. What is God's specific will for me? And what our tendency is in a time like that is is to focus on what God wants to show us instead of focusing on God. Focusing on the guidance instead of focusing on the guide. 
that in, in times of, of the unknown, that we ought to draw close to Him, that we ought to focus on Him. What we want's an answer. What we want's a plan. What we want's a map. What we want's a route. How do I get out of here? Where do I go? What do I do? Who do I talk to? When He's saying, just come to me. Focus on me. Be with me. Share intimacy with me. Get to know Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. It's out of that that flows some specific direction for your life, some specific guidance for your life. You know that this is true. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, right? Lean not on your own understanding, and He will direct your path. Spend time with the guide. Be in love with the guide. Worship the guide. Trust the guide. Believe the guide. And out of that will flow direction. Psalm 37, 4. You know this verse as well. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Is it the desire of your heart to know God's will for your life, God's direction for your life, God's path for your life? Then delight yourself in Him. Make Him your priority. Pursue Him. Love Him. Trust Him. Obey Him. He's the goal and He's the guide. And the secret of guidance is to get close to the guide. Jesus says, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. This is verse 8. If you really knew me, you would know my Father. And Philip speaks up. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. Give us a sign, a miraculous sign. Overwhelm us. Blow us away. That'll be good enough for us. Jesus' response to the disciples, it's his response to us today. We read those next few verses following verse 8. We read down through verse 21. He basically says two things. Number one, why don't you just believe me? I just got finished saying, if you know me, you know the Father. Why don't you just believe me? It's as if he's saying, why do you need some miraculous sign? I just said to you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. And we, those next verses, verses 10 and 11, Jesus basically says, don't you believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And Verse 11, he says, believe me, believe me, believe me. He goes on in verse 15, and he says, if you love me, you'll follow me, you'll obey me. To his response to Philip's question, give us a miraculous sign, show us the Father, we want to see the Father. His response is, believe me and obey me. Here's my instruction. Believe me and obey me. Trust and obey, right? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. What a great truth. Do, do you, are you here this morning? We talk, we say this every Sunday, God is here. God is real and God is here. God is real and God is here. 
God moves among his people. You can experience his presence today. Is there something inside of you that says, I want to see something big? I want to see something flashy. I want to see some kind of miracle. A bright light would be nice. Angels would be nice. A trumpet sound would be nice. And I think Jesus' response is, I, I, I told you, I'm here. I'm real. Please believe me. I, I wrote this, this down. I, I, I hope it'll make sense to you. The request for a spectacular confirmation of the presence of God is often prompted, maybe it's always prompted, by a lack of faith in what God has already revealed in his word. A desire, a sense, a need for something spectacular is a result of a lack in faith in what he's already told us is true. I want you to consider this application in the lives of the disciples who are gathered around Jesus in this time of great fear. And he is saying, everything that I've told you is absolutely truth. You can believe it. You can apply it to your lives. You can walk in confidence. I, I've told you the end of the story. You know how it all ends. We're going to be together forever. Do you believe me? Will you trust that? Will you walk in that? Jesus knows what lies ahead for himself. Yet he serves, yet he teaches, yet he loves, yet he, he sacrifices and he, he gives. Jesus knows what lies ahead for the disciples. I want you to consider what lay ahead for the disciples. For the rest of their lives, they would be tormented by the world. They would be persecuted by the world. History tells us that 11 of the 12 died horrible deaths because of their faith and love for Jesus Christ. Jesus knows what lies ahead for them. This is an important lesson. It's a valuable lesson. Do you believe me? Are you looking for something that I've already said is true? Are you looking for some kind of miraculous? You get the point. We need to experience the very presence of God by trusting in and applying his principles and promises that he has already given to us, revealed to us. It's in his Bible. This is no book. This Bible is alive. So much more that we could talk about in regard to that. And we're going to be talking about some of those things in the coming weeks, but I'll mention a couple to you. What truth has Jesus revealed in his word to us? Here's one. He says in verse 14 that, that you can ask me anything. You can ask anything in my name, and I will give it to you. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about a power. I'm going to give you a power. And that power is grounded in me. It's founded in me. Delight yourself in me. Seek me. Get to know the guide. Fall in love with me. You'll know what to ask for. And when you ask for that thing, I'll give you power. I wonder, I wonder how many of us would say, that's what characterizes my life, power. 
supernatural power, miraculous power. But Jesus has said, I give this to you. This is what I give you. Why is it that we're not experiencing the supernatural, the unexplainable? Well, I think he, he gives us a little bit of a hint toward that in verse 16 when he says, look, I am going away, but, but I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you a helper. This helper is going to be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. He's a counselor. He's a helper. He reveals to you what is absolutely true. Will you, will, will you believe it when he reveals that to you? And it's in this helper, it's in this counselor, it's in this spirit that you're going to experience supernatural power. He has the audacity, if you can let me say that, Jesus has the audacity to say to us, you're going to do greater things than I've done. Now folks, that's power. Oh, I pray that God would unleash the power that is within every believer that we would begin to experience the supernatural as a common occurrence. I think that's the way God wants us to live. He says to the disciples, he says to us this morning, the disciples are in this, this funk, they're, they're, they're in this valley, and he says you're going to have power. You're going to be able to experience the supernatural. How do we know that that's true? Because I've revealed that to you in my word. Will you believe me? Here's one other question that I see in the 14th chapter. It's in verse 22. I think the disciples might be getting a little excited now. Jesus has told them what their destiny is. He's told them about eternity. He's told them about their ministry, that they can expect the supernatural. And the, the Bible says Judas, of course this isn't Judas Iscariot, he's already left the room when these now 11 are gathered around Jesus. It's, it's speaking of Thaddeus, which is one of the disciples from the beginning. You can see Thaddeus listed as Judas and Thaddeus. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 16, and Matthew chapter 10 and verse 3, there's no question. This is one of the disciples. It's the disciple called Thaddeus. And Thaddeus says this, hey, I've got a question for you. Why are you revealing this to us and not to the world? Why will you reveal yourself to us and not to the world? The first thought that came to my mind when I read this question by Thaddeus was, this is so consistent with Jesus' ministry. That he, tend, he had this tendency to reveal truth to people who would receive truth. It, it talks all throughout the Gospel of John about how Jesus knows our heart. Luke tells us about the, 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 the different soils and how Jesus likes to plant seed or his word or truth in that soil which is fertile and ready to receive it. Maybe part of the answer to the question that's not revealed here in the 14th chapter of John is, I, I, I like to give truth to people who will receive it. The world can't receive this. 
But as I read here, it doesn't appear to me that Jesus actually answers this question, though he has a response. His response doesn't seem to address what Thaddeus is asking. You're revealing this to us. Why don't you just tell the whole world? You know what I think Thaddeus is thinking? That would make everything so much easier. That would make everything simpler. You tell them, then we don't have to. Reveal yourself to them. Let's get this game over with. Tell the world, let those who will come to you come to you, and then let's go home. Let's have that wedding. But that's not Jesus' plan. That's Praise God that's not his plan. He, he waited for me. He was patient with me. I don't see a a direct answer to that question in this passage of Scripture. And so, you might want to write this on your notes. There are some things about the future that faith doesn't need to know. They're, They're best understood in hindsight, in retrospect, in looking back on things. I've said this to you often I've said, I I think the most used word when we all get to heaven, the Bible says, when we see as he sees, no longer cloudy, but we see clearly, we all get to heaven. I think the most used word, the word we're going to hear more than any other word is, oh. Jesus didn't answer the question. Maybe it was because he knew the disciples couldn't really grasp it. They couldn't understand it. Maybe it would not have had a positive benefit. It wasn't good for them, for their lives, to understand the answer to that question. Or maybe he had plans to answer it at another time. Listen, this is all about belief. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? And I tell you this morning, faith believes when answers aren't readily apparent we do not walk by sight that is to say understanding we walk by faith we just choose to believe i've got questions i've had questions that i would like answers to and jesus answers me by saying this trust me believe me four questions Four principles that are as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago that we should apply to our lives. Jesus doesn't just teach, 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 teach. In verse 27, and I love this about Jesus, he, he simply says to them as they're getting ready to leave this room, travel over to the Garden of Gethsemane, he says this to them, peace, I leave with you. Peace. I give you. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe you're at a place where you need to to hear Jesus say to you, peace, I give you. It's not the same as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And don't be afraid. Jesus left the disciples. We don't see his... We don't see him in bodily form here today, but he has not left us alone. Believe him.
follow him, trust him, delight yourself in him. Folks, I'm, I'm done. I, I want to mention two things to you real quick because this has been on my heart. I, I tell you every week, some form or fashion, God is real, God is sovereign, God is in control, God has a plan, God has a purpose, God is our guide. We should believe him, we should trust him, we should follow him. And I believe that every single Sunday there's some principle or something, uh, some challenge that has been offered from God's word and that there's many, many in this auditorium who think to them at that time of, of commitment, at that time of renewal, Jesus, I thank you for your truth. I want to apply that to my life. This week's going to be different. I want to experience you in my life this week. And it's a sincere commitment. If you're like me, you find yourself back here seven days later, the next Sunday, and you, and you find yourself having to say to God, I failed miserably. I, I was sincere when I said I was going to do that, or I was going to give that up, or I was going to trust you more, I was going to believe you more. I, I experience this regularly. There's things in my life I know God wants to change, and I give myself to him, and I say, please change them in my life, and, but I don't see a change. There's a, a frustration that, that takes place. Here's the question. Why is that? Why is that the experience of so many Next week, that's what we're going to talk about. And you don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that. And I hope you'll be here for that. I think, I think the next six weeks in our church are going to be a time of transformation. Real change in our lives. On the 27th, we're going to start a new series called Unleash the Power Within. It's based on John chapter 15 and John chapter 16. I, I, I believe that it is the most powerful teaching of Jesus for our lives today and where we're at as a church family and what he wants to do in you and what he wants to do through you and what he wants to do through us. And I, I've been praying fervently for months. Lord, use this time, use this time. I pray that it'll be a time that five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we'll look back and we'll say, you know what? That was a time when, when transformation, when things changed. That was, that was the time. You're going to get the most out of that four-week series if you're part of a group. You need to be part of a group. I'm going to stand up here on Sunday morning and I'm just going to reveal truth to you. It's in the group that you're going to say, let's flesh that out. This has been my experience. What's been your experience? Let's talk about how that works. You've got to be part of a group. There will be somebody in the lobby this morning. If you're not part of a group, even if it's just a commitment for those four weeks, even if it's just a commitment for those four weeks, do you want to be changed? That power that he talks about is that just for some people, not for everybody? Do you want that? Do you want to experience that? 
I think it's his promise to you. You'll do greater things than I have done, Jesus said. I hope you'll be a part of that. Here's the second thing I want to say, and then I'm going to close in prayer. You might be here this morning, and you don't know Jesus. These promises, these principles, these truths that we see in his word, they're for the believer, they're for the one who has given their heart and their life to Jesus you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know this morning that he loves you, that you're not here by accident, that he calls you to himself, that he wants to reveal himself to you, the thing that stands in the way, the reason that you can't experience him, the reason that you can't know him is sin. We've all sinned, the Bible says. We've all sinned. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is God's provision for our sin. Jesus, when he died on that cross, he paid the penalty for my sin. He paid the price for my sin. He took care of my sin. He took my sin out of the way, and with my sin out of the way, now I can know him. I can know God. I can have a relationship with him. He loves you. Sin stands in the way. Jesus is God's provision for man's sin. But we got to believe. We got to receive. We got to embrace. We got to make him a part. We got we to make it personal. We got to say, Jesus, I want to know you personally. Come into my life. Help me to know you personally. I give you myself. Thank you for forgiving my sins. That can be your experience this morning. In the weeks ahead, when we start, start talking about power, that's available to the one who has relationship with Jesus. And if you don't, you can today. You can today. Let me invite you to stand. If you pray a prayer that says, Jesus, I want to be in a personal relationship with you. If you pray a prayer like that, that's the attitude of your heart. I sure would love to know. I hope you'll let me know. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your principle. Thank you that you don't leave us alone. Thank you that you're always with us, that you're our guide. Thank you that you're the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, forgive us. We confess that there are times we look elsewhere when all we need to do is look to you. This morning in this time of decision, this time of commitment, we once again say to you, I give you all that I am. I commit myself to you. I will believe you. I will trust you. I will follow you. Lord, even if the path is hard, even if the path is tough, even if the path leads to a valley, I will believe you. I will trust you. I will follow you. That's my commitment to you today, to this morning. Give me strength, Lord, to follow you for your glory. Change lives. Reveal yourself is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.